1: Jonathan Edens, and today we have a very special guest. Uh, the topic for the conversation is uh, finances and mental health. And so, our guest today, we are joined by Justin Good. Say hello, Justin. Hey, everybody. So I'll do a brief uh, introduction for Justin, um, give you some reasons why you should be listening to this guy uh, on the topic of, uh, you know, financial literacy and whatnot. Um, and before we dive into it, just so you know, everything that we say in this podcast um, is not financial advice. You know, we are not financial professionals. And so, you know, we are just two guys having a conversation about mental health and finances. So... A little bit of background on Justin. He is a former U.S. Naval officer with work experience in a vast array of fields, including finance, marketing, nuclear engineering, aviation, communications, and cyber systems. He has a bachelor's degree in business finance from the University of Kansas and a master's degree in cyber systems and operations from the Naval Postgraduate School. Justin has been investing for over 20 years and his experience includes real estate, stocks, Options, commodities, business startups, cryptocurrency, and uh, other alternative assets. At the age of thirty-nine, Justin was able to achieve personal financial freedom, and now devotes his time to helping others do the same. Currently, he serves on the board of directors and advisory panel for three nonprofit organizations, while also pursuing his goal of helping one thousand people achieve financial freedom. Uh, so, before we get started, Justin, I'm just curious: uh, are you are you keeping track of that one thousand people?
0: <laughs> Great question. Thanks. Thanks for that wonderful intro. Um, Absolutely. I, I, not. Uh, not really. I could go back
1: and find out. Yeah. But I don't have a running tally in my uh, in my head right now. Gotcha. Well, I was just I was just curious. Um, but it is uh, that's a very an admirable goal. Um, so let's let's take a step back with uh, kind of where. Um you know I want to find out a little bit more about you so let's talk about your your money journey so to speak and how you came to you know eventually be the guy that was able to retire at 39 but I'm assuming a lot of that started fairly early on in many of the decisions that you made so can you tell me a little bit about your early money story if you will Absolutely um so I was the
0: I was the kid that was setting up a lemonade stand on the side of the road trying to you know trying to trying to make some money or I had I had paper routes or I mean, back before the internet, I was going around do, doing door-to-door sales out of a catalog, right? So I always had that mentality that I was willing to work for money. Um, once I got in my, my early 20s, I realized that it takes a lot more than just hard work to actually be financially successful. And I didn't know what I didn't know, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I was able to, to connect with some, some very successful people that asked the right questions and gave me some information. Uh, and basically what they said, they said, hey, read this book. I was like, all right, I'll read a book. Was it
1: written for Dad? Oh, you know it was. <laughs> <laughs> you know it was. Um, and and what so... That? Just that, like what age were you when you
0: read that book? Um, I was 21. Okay. Yeah, so 20, 20 to 21 um, when I read that book and it changed my perspective about the way I viewed money. And so I learned a lot more about how money worked and it, honestly, it lit a fire in me to learn more because it let me know that there was so much out there that I didn't know, but I needed to know if I wanted to achieve the things I wanted to achieve in my life, which was financial freedom.
1: Cool. So what was the next, you know, we'll get into kind of your philosophy of money and sort of the breakdown, but you know, where, um, what was the next steps that you took to sort of initiate, you know, that process of getting to that ultimate goal of financial freedom? Years and years of mistakes, mm. um, very
0: very costly. Some I, I paid for a lot of education. Some was formal education. Some was the cost of making big mistakes and losing a lot of money. Um, but I was I was persistent, and I I did something. It worked or it didn't work. I tried to learn from it. I tried to surround myself with uh, with mentors and people that were successful doing what it was that I wanted to do, um, and and I've been fortunate throughout that journey to make enough mistakes and not stop making the mistakes that eventually I was successful.
1: So, you know, underlying that, you know, in the sense of um, you making a lot of mistakes but continuing down the pathway, you know, a lot of people, they, they say, invest in a particular asset class that ends up tanking, right? And doesn't really pan out. And then so they they sort of say, oh, this this whole investing thing isn't quite for me. What was the mindset, you know, the perspective, the, the philosophy that kind of kept you going all those years, even when you were making all these big mistakes?
0: Yeah, really, it was... Uh, I, I was very fortunate to have mentors that had achieved the things that I wanted to do to achieve. So when I tried things and failed my mentality wasn't, Oh, this doesn't work. My mentality was, well, they did it. Mm. So I know I can do it. So I did something wrong. I have to figure out what I did wrong so that I can be successful later. And, and honestly, one of the things I learned in uh, through from uh, Robert Kiyosaki in rich dad, poor dad, and some of his follow on books is that mistakes are okay, but you want to try to keep them small in the beginning. Sure. Now, I didn't do <laughs> I wasn't able to do that but now when I'm working with people that's one of the key things that I try to emphasize is I don't want you to be paralyzed and not take any action but I want you to take small action because if it does go wrong if you do make a mistake you can learn from it and you can move on and you can continue your journey towards
1: financial freedom. So uh, before we let's define some terms. Just can you give me um, can you give me a, a simple sort of definition of what you mean by financial independence or financial freedom? Absolutely. Um, so Robert does a great job
0: of uh, defining this. He says when you're a monthly income from passive uh, passive assets, which an asset is something that just puts cash into your pocket. So when you have these assets that put money into your pocket every month. When that amount of money that comes in is greater than your expenses, then you've achieved financial freedom. So most people um, work and earn money. So they're trading their time for money. Then they take that money and they spend it on stuff. And then at the end of the money or at the end of the month, they have very little of that money left over. So they have to go back to work, earn more money, use the money to spend on stuff. And that's a very typical cycle that, uh, that... everyone starts out in or everyone is in at some some point in their life. What Robert teaches is to do things that generate passive income so that your passive income can be higher than your living expenses. And that is the definition of financial freedom.
1: So you mentioned, um, you know, there are a lot of mistakes, particularly in the early years. So it sounds like it was a little bit of a roller coaster ride, right? And you know, in, in tying this conversation in a little bit with mental health, you know, I wanna I wanna hear kind of your perspective on some of the mental health stuff um, that maybe you experienced or you saw other people that have kind of um, pursued the same trajectory, or you know, over the years as you've coached, you know, many many clients um, that have been looking to gain some additional financial stability. What are some ways in which you think that uh, finances and mental health can be, you know, associated or correlated?
0: Yeah, that's a that's a good question. Um, I think that uh, there's a there can be a lot of fear associated with uh, with with personal finance or investing or, or like not knowing what to do. So a lot of that uncertainty can can lend to to fear and can cause a lot of stress. Um, I think. In the case where I did make mistakes, I knew that I did something wrong, but I didn't think that I was a failure because the endeavor that I undertook didn't work. Now, now don't get me wrong, I, I haven't always had this attitude and this mentality, right? This has been something that I've grown in and, and learned along the way. Um, and I've definitely been super sad and, and angry when, when things didn't work out, but I've grown and, and learned over the over the decades. Um, But if, if something didn't work, I didn't see, I didn't look at myself and say, I'm a failure. You know, I suck. I shouldn't do this. I looked at it and said, okay, this thing failed. What did I do wrong? Right. So it was the, the idea of, okay, I made a mistake. Now I can grow. Now I can get better. So it was, it was that mentality of looking to, looking to be better and to improve myself, not identifying as the the failure
1: itself. Yeah, that that uh, distinction that you're making is um, a, a significant problem with those that deal with depression, right? Particularly major depressive disorder and the level of, uh, you know, severity of symptoms a lot of times is strongly correlated with the way in which they identify, um, you know, themselves as being the failure, right? They can't, uh, so much of the time it's hard to Kind of distance yourself from the way that you feel, or you know the the um, maybe the the sort of change in general kind of functionality that you have as a result of your depression. And so there's these really strong intrusive negative thoughts about I'm the problem, right? And I'm maybe I'm the weight, I'm sort of the burden, I'm the anchor for people around me. And so there's this um, you know really severe level of show game. Uh, excuse me. Uh, uh, shame and guilt kind of associated with that. Right. <clears throat> and so we've kind of, you know, you, you talked about how, um, the, the mistakes that were made, you know, have caused have caused you a lot of stress. You've seen that with a lot of your clients. Um, you know, I, I do want to make the other comment of, you know, the, the opposite can also be true. And that, you know, financial issues don't necessarily just cause mental health problems, but mental health problems can also cause a lot of financial issues, right? And so any comments that, you know, you have on on that in particular? i mean you're you're more the expert than i am in uh in that
0: realm so i don't want i don't want to overstep my my bounds but but yeah I have worked with people that have ended up in financial situations that were not caused by by laziness or were not caused by by their they're not wanting to to try to do something but actually you know some sort of like a depression or or you know mental mental health issue that uh that kind of just I don't want to say paralyzed, but almost like paralyzed kept them from moving forward toward their, toward their goal.
1: Yeah. You know, a lot of people that deal with mental health issues, they see the future as being unclear and you, you know, to a certain extent, hopeless. And so, what's the point in saving for money for a future that you can't even really visualize, right? Um, so that can be a real challenge, especially if your partner tends to deal with depression um, in helping them to be motivated to not just look at the here and now, but look at the long-term goal, right? Or you know, anxiety is uh, anxiety is a, a very common thing that's associated with me- mental, excuse me, with uh, financial insecurity as well. And there's so much correlation there. You know, you <coughs> it. it you, you think of you think of all the people that are you know daily sort of checking the stock market and looking at their numbers right and watching you know watching watching the values go up and down and um and so their 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 emotions are kind of based moment by moment on <clears throat> how their portfolio is doing right and um and so and you know we'll get we'll get into a little bit more about the type of uh, you know good sort of uh, financial habits that we can instill, but there's a couple you know a couple other things that I did want you to briefly touch on. but can you talk to me a little bit about debt and sort of your philosophy on debt and how um, you know how you see debt as both playing a role uh, in the process of building wealth as well as some of the downsides of debt debt specifically as it relates to mental health
0: yeah, that's a that's a great distinction that, that you made there and i'm and I'm glad you did that so. Uh, a lot of people view debt as being bad um, and and in all honesty having having a lot of debt can can be very stressful and can cause a lot of uh, a lot of other uh, like mental mental health issues um, but debt is really it can be a tool if it's used the right way so i don't I don't want to say that all debt is bad but I don't want to say that that all debt is good either right so so things like uh, credit card debt um, and and things like that—they're just very high interest rates on things that you purchase, consumer goods, or things that are aren't really doing anything for your uh, for, for your long-term
1: future. Probably not. Probably not good debt. Um, and I'll, you, and I'll actually state the controversial opinion that a lot of home debt and college debt is also probably not a good investment either. Right? There is there are definitely uh, <laughs> there are definitely ways in which you can acquire "quote unquote" good debt that ends up you know being sort of uh, extraneous, right? More than what you really should have taken on. Oh, absolutely! Like uh, home debt can be a can be a, a good
0: long term decision, um, but if you try to have like the biggest best fanciest house in the neighborhood with that you maybe you can't afford, then that turns that that same sort of living expense that that could be, you know, decent for your long term plan into something horrible. This that's only going to cause stress and, uh, and and financial pain in, in the future
1: yeah real real estate debt and prices, specifically, you know over the course of the last year, that that has been a conversation that I've had with so many of my patients. You know they, they end up getting in a home that they've seen either slow down or decline somewhat in value. um, and they've taken on, you know they bought more than really what they could. Uh, reasonably afford, and so now, where they used to see that they had some savings left, they're living paycheck to paycheck. They're having to figure out an exit strategy during this, and you know that leads to a lot of emotional distress. You know, a lot of people are laying up late at you know late late uh, late at night, right? Being unable to sleep, feeling you know developing even you know panic attacks and and whatnot because of these types of issues um, that are putting their themselves and their families sort of at risk, right? So. Having a good education and not not necessarily being able to predict the future, nobody can per se, right? But living living sort of within the means um, and making sort of wise and discernible decisions about, uh, about even these other expenses that would otherwise be considered to be quote unquote good types of debt. Any other absolutely any other really bad types of debt that should definitely be avoided aside from credit card debt that you just want to briefly touch on.
0: Oh, I mean, credit card debt. Absolutely. Um, auto auto loan debt is is necessary, but can also be excessive. So it's that same the same kind of balance of the of the house. Like if you need a vehicle to get to work, awesome. Get a get a dependable, reliable vehicle. Uh, try to get low interest rate uh, debt on it if you can. But but like you don't need a new Escalade. Yeah. Right, so like that's and and I went down that trap. I'm speaking from experience. I bought a brand new BMW sports car at the age of 21 because I saved up money. I was good, and I had a crazy payment, and I was absolutely foolish. But I paid the price for a couple of years, and I finally came to my senses. Like, what am I doing? I got to get rid of this thing. So I so I took a loss. I got rid of it, and I tried to move forward in a in a smarter way. So I've definitely made a lot of the a lot of the mistakes that I hear.
1: Day in, day, day out, people come to me with. So, I want to touch on just a couple other things to consider as it relates to finances and mental health. But um, having poor um, finances or financial struggles, this can also lead to social isolation. Um, you know, many people are too embarrassed to socialize or participate in activities that they cannot afford, right? And so, when you're really strapped financially, that really limits your ability to say, you know, go out to a restaurant with friends or go to, you know, other maybe sporting events or other. Other things that you would otherwise enjoy, um, and so that can really limit, um, really limit your ability or desire even um, to to participate. You know, as, as kind of a general sort of member of society in your social circle, right? Um, so that's so that's one one aspect. Another is just this sort of general feeling of loss of control. Um, you know, many people find that uh, as they feel as they have lost control in other as or in this aspect of their lives, it makes them feel. Um, as if they're losing control on other aspects as well, right? It's uh, a lot of that is that self-talk. It's, oh, I'm a failure in this. And so therefore I'm a failure in a lot of other aspects. And then for some people, there can also be, you know, a couple of other concepts just that we'll briefly mention are the idea of like financial trauma, uh, as well as the idea of like financial infidelity, and so, you know, things such as evictions, foreclosures, bankruptcies, like these can actually be, you know, traumatic experiences for people. And so, you know, as much as we can, if we make the decisions up front, we can have a much higher likelihood of avoiding those risks.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So one of the things that, that I've learned from a, a very smart mentor is that you cannot eliminate risk. Like risk is something that we have to deal with in all areas of life, but especially like investing in personal finances. But the The more education you have, the more you're able to minimize that risk. So you can't eliminate it, but you can definitely minimize it with education. So that's why I'm an advocate for personal financial education
1: absolutely so let's uh, let's break down a little bit of your kind of um, basic and generalized philosophy on some of the um, you know, some of the ways that we can create a kind of solid foundation of financial literacy uh, that we can that we can um kind of refine on an individualized basis um, you know, in, in the future uh for people that are you know more interested in this particular topic. So if you can give me some of your foundational kind of principles, if you will, um then we can kind of go from there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So the the absolute foundation is being able to control the the money that you have in your bank, in your account. Right. And so the idea is spending less than you earn on a, on a monthly basis. So, um, so that, that's the absolute foundation. Once you're able to get that under control, then you can take the next step and live off of that lesser amount of your income. And then the, the what's left over, you can devote that to specific things like building up a savings account or setting aside for investments or other charitable endeavors and, and there's percentages that i kind of start people off with and and then let them let them tweak that according to their needs and their, their situation because everybody's coming at this from a different place yeah. um, so that that general idea and then once you kind of have some money starting starting to be set aside for investing then that's when the education really comes in what do i do with this money that's setting this that's being set aside so there's all sorts of different asset classes,
1: from real estate and, and stocks. Before you, before you actually go there, let me go back yeah. on the saving, the savings aspect, because I I, 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 I hear a lot of people asking, well, you know, how, how do I, how do I create that that difference, right? What are some of the main levers that I can pull in order to decrease my monthly spending without maybe. You know, obviously there's going to be some sacrifice, but most people don't just want to eat rice and beans every single day, right? And and live in a shack of a house. So, yeah. what are some things that you know um, that you see as maybe some um, re- broadly applicable things that many people can uh, look into in terms of saving money?
0: I know, no, everybody doesn't want to eat beans and rice, and, and I'm not an advocate for for doing that. You know, I I like food, I like having fun, but but in moderation. So if I used to go out to dinner. Four days a week, then I have to say, okay, I'm only going out two days a week, right? If I if I enjoy a subscription to uh, like a, maybe a streaming service, like maybe one of the things is, already, I'm going to cut off this this streaming service, and instead of instead of watching an hour of of TV on that service every night, I'm going to read a book, like Rich Dad Poor Dad, you know, or <laughs> Some some other book that that can help me along that journey. Right. So so these are these concepts are very simple, but they can be difficult, if that makes sense. Sure. So so very simple to do, but can be difficult to actually carry out just because of habits and and other things we have going on in our lives.
1: Yeah, I've heard the majority of um you know household. Uh, responsibilities from a financial standpoint, like the three biggest levers typically are housing, uh, food and transportation, right? And so, you know, those are the ones that if you can make substantial um, uh, changes in those, which isn't always possible, right? But if you can make, uh, if you can make some reasonable uh, changes uh, in one of those key areas, then that can make a significant you know, a significant difference in the overall spread in which you're spending. And then, of course, there's going to be other things like you mentioned, you know, the the Netflix subscription or, or maybe, you know, um, a lot of people I know have four, five, six, you know, seven subscriptions that they're getting every single month, right, that they're not even aware of. And there are services out there now, right, that can track these subscriptions and then they can cancel them for you automatically, right? So so those are definitely should be part of the conversation. And those are, you know, in, in kind of my my mind, those are a little bit of like the icing on the cake, if you will right so any comments that you have specifically on like those big three levers of the the housing transportation and food i know you, br- you sort of briefly mentioned food as it relates to like eating out at restaurants but any other comments that you have about those
0: yeah i, I found that that housing is probably the one of the harder ones for people to, to 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 try to change it just it just takes longer because there's a lease and they're, they're comfortable yeah. where they are and stuff like that um but uh, but if if you're talking about making a serious change in your in your 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 future plans uh, for the sake of changing your financial situation, then that's that's a great place a great place to start. Um, rental prices and, and and things have been going up, so that's not always easy to find a new place to to live. Um, but uh, that they could actually save money. But but yeah, that's absolutely an avenue that that people can can look at and try to find some ways to, to save money um transportation is also a good one like in my case i had a car that i was paying seven hundred dollars a month on you know a long time ago and that was absolutely nuts back then and so i i came to my senses it's like i can't keep doing this this doesn't make sense yeah so i so i bought a car that i was paying 350 so i i literally cut my car payment in half
1: because i realized that that i didn't need that yeah so so, any any other tips on like creating a budget? Um,
0: yeah. So there, there's lots of there's lots of tools out there. I don't have any specific that uh, that I use um, myself or that I that I promote. But there's all sorts of apps out there, or there's spreadsheets. If somebody likes getting on getting on the spreadsheet and like, getting into Dave Ramsey cash method. <laughs> yeah, that, that's absolutely. So I I'm not a huge Dave Ramsey fan overall, uh, but he 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 has a lot of great points for like very basic level financial uh, financial education. And so, if you can't control your actual spending and you need to use cash and envelopes, then that's the way to start. And then once you get that under control, then maybe you can consider using a a card or or something like that. It's
1: safe to say that the first step that you're Advocating is if there's not a big difference between your savings rate um, relative to uh, the expenses, right? Or I should say the amount of income that you have in coming in relative to your expenses. Then we should try to uh, create a larger spread by you know, trying to trying to reduce our overall on a monthly basis. And then the, I think the second thing that you said, and so if we want to call this step two, was uh, if you don't have an emergency fund of sorts, start stocking away some of the money towards that emergency fund. Now, I, I heard you also say that there's kind of multiple sort of ways that you could go about this, multiple ideas and, and how much should be in this emergency fund and where it should be placed and whatnot. But uh, could you give us like a general rule of thumb? Uh,
0: absolutely. So
1: um,
0: I usually I usually start people off with a the idea of living off a of 70% of your, your income. So sometimes that, that's absolutely not possible, 80%, 90%, but whatever it needs to be in your individual situation. But if you're able to live off of 70% of your income, that leaves 30%. And so I, I describe it as buckets. So you have a bucket for savings, a bucket for investing, and a, bus, a bucket for like giving or, or charity. And so each of those buckets could be, I start off at around 10% for each of those. But those can, those can fluctuate as, uh, as necessary. So every month, you're, say you have $1,000 that comes in, you live off of 700 and you're able to put $100 in the savings bucket, $100 in the investment bucket, and $100 in the charity bucket. And then you just let that go and let it build up. And then once the savings bucket has accumulated enough money, it could be a, a different savings account, like a high-yield savings account separate from your bank account um, or however you want to do it. But once that's built up to a reasonable amount that you're comfortable with, then you can start to shift that extra money every month over into the investment bucket. Um, now, the way to figure out how much that savings account should be is very, very... Uh, I say up, up to you. It, it varies widely. So um, a lot of thumb rules that I've heard can be two months of your of your your paycheck or up to six months of your paycheck. But the the whole point, and I think the 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 important part of that is it needs to be something that you are comfortable with that doesn't cause you stress. So if you sleep like a baby at night and don't worry about finances at all, if you have one month's paycheck. Cool. if you need six months in a bank so you sleep well and you don't have to worry about a layoff or you don't have to worry about you know uh, expenses popping up out of nowhere from, from my kids or something like that then then go for six months but that's very much up to you and your individual situation.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, I'm glad you brought up a couple of those points because a lot of that, a lot of that range may depend on a number of factors, like you were kind of mentioning. You know, if you if you have significant health issues, right, and you have maybe um, large medical bills that are coming up, or um, maybe your maybe the roof on your house is going to you know need to be replaced at some point, or maybe. Um, so I guess I could say if you're an owner versus a uh, you know a, um, a tenant yourself and you're renting, right, there's gonna be a lot potentially larger expenses that could uh, theoretically come up in, in sort of a sudden fashion. Um, or maybe or maybe you work in sales or in a job in which the industry isn't particularly secure. Right. And you get these wild fluctuations in your salary or, um, you know, given uh, the economy that we currently live in, there's a high likelihood of you getting, getting let go. Um, then, you know, you might want to err more so on the side of having a few more months, right. In the emergency savings. Um, so you know, once we've kind of gotten that that emergency savings up to a place in which we're pretty comfortable, sounds like the next step that you said was you start allocating that money that you would have otherwise put in the emergency savings over into the invest investment bucket. So, can you talk a few minutes about you know some of your kind of general investing philosophies? Um, you know, what are some good asset classes to you know put that money in, and and how does you know, maybe some, some general guidelines on like, um, or I should say general things that you might consider um, on where, on where that, where you would consider putting that money uh, once it's, it's, it's built up to a certain amount.
0: Absolutely. I, I'd love to. So again, not financial advice, um, but my investment philosophy, I, I look at, uh, so there's two types of, of investing. So you can either invest for capital gains which is the typical way of buying something low and then selling it when it's high, right? And then you make the money. So you you buy it, you sell it, but now you have money. The other way to 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 think about investing is investing for cash flow. So you buy something that generates uh, that generates money, that generates what we call cash flow. And then if the price goes up, that's good. If the price goes down, that's that's okay also. But when you're investing in that uh, that way, you're primarily concerned with what the asset is actually producing. So if it's producing any money uh, every month, so if you're buying, so so my my investment uh, philosophy is buying things that produce cash flow, and so I don't worry about the the price going up or or going down for things that that I've owned, and that helps to reduce you know, stress and, and that, that keeps you from having to like watch the market and try to like day trade, like day trading. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, Not financial advice, but listen to this. You're not, a, you're not a day trader. Please don't t- try to be a day trader. Um, 95, there's statistics, 95% of people that try to day trade lose money on their, on their tax returns. So please don't, please don't do that. Investing is not get rich quick. Investing is not an overnight thing. Investing is a is a journey, um, and and you can be successful at it, but but it does take time and it does take a little bit of effort. So please don't try to do things overnight and get rich quick tomorrow.
1: So I'm assuming a- assuming your your primary um, asset class that you're investing in for cash flow is uh, rental properties.
0: Um, so yeah, so that that's one of the one of the the cash flow streams. Um, so you can find you can find passive income in in different asset classes. So so real estate is a is the probably the most the most well known but also you can find in the stock market with uh, like dividend paying stocks. Yeah. There's all sorts of stocks you can look into if you if you're interested in that dividend kings or dividend aristocrats specific stocks that just pay dividends. A lot of companies you have probably never heard of. But that's something to go look into and do a lot of research if uh, if that's something you're interested
1: in. Cool. Um, any, other, any other pillars, if you will, of, uh, you know, financial literacy, you know, ed- education and eventually sort of working your way towards financial independence?
0: Yeah, yeah. So the idea of figuring out what you want to invest in. So it should be something that interests you. If you don't like stocks, if you think the stock market is, is crazy, then I don't advise you trying to learn how to be great as a stock investor. Um, likewise, with real estate, like if if you think real estate is great or horrible, if you think it's great, maybe that's something that you want to pursue and learn more about. But the key is if if it's not something that you moderately enjoy at least, then it's unlikely that you're going to want to continue pursuing uh, financial education in that uh, in that asset class. So so pick something that's moderately interesting and then just try to try to learn some stuff about it. But, that, that's if you want to try to do it yourself. Um, some people want to become a professional investor and like they want to know all the stuff and they, they really like it. A lot of people don't. Um, so there's, there are a lot of good people out there. There, there are some probably not uh, not as good as well as in any industry, but there are people out there that can, that can help you, They can manage your money for you. So there's all sorts of resources about how to, how to rate a money manager or, or, or who to invest with. And that's, that's a whole, nother, a whole nother, uh podcast just on that little tiny topic about uh, putting your money with, with, with other people. But that's also an option. So you don't have to be a, a, a professional investor yourself. If you understand the basics and you can control your cash flow and you can set aside uh, money for investments and for savings on a regular basis... And That is the key to long-term success.
1: So, my last question for you, and then we'll kind of wrap up, is uh, you you, know, you mentioned Robert Kiyosaki and which Dad poured out as being you know maybe a good starting place for many people to just get a uh, a good understanding of assets versus liabilities and cash flow and and you know accumulating wealth and whatnot. Uh, but any other resources that you you have found particularly useful in in your journey aside from you know the mentors that you've had? Um, yeah. So I,
0: I had a voracious appetite for, for knowledge. And when I, when I first started this and the internet wasn't, wasn't that big of a thing yet. So books. So I, I have a, like a, a laundry list of, of books that, uh, that I've read that I found helpful. So in, in stocks, there's, uh, a guy named again, not, not an endorsement, just, I, I like the people I, I like their material. Um, a guy named Andy Tanner. He he deals with with stocks and, and generating cash flow in with paper assets. Um, uh, another Ken Ken McElroy. Um, he, he deals with uh, real estate. He's written a, a couple of really good books: ABCs of Real Estate Investing, um, and that's just, just a couple off the top of my head. But there's there's a list of uh, a long list of of, of books and, and different things that I've that I've read over time to to accumulate some of this uh, knowledge and experience.
1: I'll, uh, I'll throw a couple resources out there in, in the world of re- real estate uh, bigger pockets I found to be a very uh, useful resource hundred <laughs> yeah. percent I, I don't I don't know why that my brain didn't go there yet I love bigger pockets uh, I also <clears throat> I listen to a lot of podcasts and so uh, i really enjoy... they have a couple different podcasts um you know some um, for more experienced investors, some for more newbie investors. They also have one called the Money Money Show that I've thoroughly and ing- just enjoyed listening to, um, and then also Choose FI. I don't know if you've heard of that podcast before. Uh, Choose FI. It's uh, Choose Financial Independence, um, and that's a, it's a really good. They don't they don't um, talk as much about real estate per se, um, but they you know they focus a lot on a lot of like um, uh, uh, aspects from like Mr. Money Mustache. If you've ever heard that uh, that know the writer before back from like the early 2010s. Very interesting blog. It's still around. You should check it out. Um, but so a lot of uh, the you know the, the foundational sort of principles of the fire movement and whatnot that they focus on. And so there's a lot of uh, you know living below your means, um, you know negotiating your salaries to increase your income, right? Exploring business uh, opportunities and stuff. So I've I've thoroughly enjoyed that one as well. Um, but this is uh, Justin. Any any sort of closing comments uh, before we before we sign off?
0: Oh No, it's uh, it's it's been a pleasure. I, I appreciate uh, being able to share some of uh, some of this with your with your listeners. Um, I I hope that uh, I hope that they're able to to take some of this knowledge and take some of this and uh, and, and use it in their life
1: to uh, to make some make some changes and uh, get further on their financial journey. Is there a place if any of our listeners are interested in connecting with you? Do you have like a website or a service or anything um, you would point them towards? Uh, yeah, so so right now actually completely re- redoing all of that. So I have a I
0: have a, a, an email that if they want uh, if they want to find out about future things coming out, um, it's uh, contact at withjustin.com. And so they can they can shoot an email there. I'll, I'll make sure they get on the list and they they know about anything new coming out.
1: Perfect. Thank you, Justin, for your time and your expertise today. It's a pleasure. So if you only take one thing away from today's show, remember this. If mental illness is a whole person problem, then it must have a whole person solution. My name is Jonathan Edens. And I'm Justin Goodwin. And you've been listening to The The Brain Brain People People Podcast. Podcast.
0: Thanks for listening. To hear more episodes, find us on social media or support us financially, visit thebrainpeoplepodcast.com.